Hi, this is Daz, and you're listening to Delving with Daz podcast. Hi, this is Delving with Daz, and we are so delighted to have with us today David Renicki. Is that how you pronounce no, it? No, Dave Renicki. Renicki. Yeah. I knew I'd get it wrong. <laughs> I do it too sometimes. Uh, that's okay. So David is an amazing guy. He has um, he studies and um, studies astronomy as opposed to astrology. Good. Uh, we're not going to ask you to do that either, <laughs> David. So that's a good thing. So I, can, I can tell you what one of the uh, lotto numbers will be one day. Oh, well, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> so David, tell us a bit about your background and also how you ended up being so interested in the stars and space and... Yes, I do a lot of talks, um, private talks, public talks, private talks to, to groups and things like that. We take them out under the sky, under the stars. We've got large telescopes. got about 14 at home. Wow. Yes, I know. It doesn't go over very well sometimes. But <laughs> we take some of these telescopes out. And the thing that I always get asked, people say, how did this start? Where did you get your interest from? Mm. Well, it's been there since I was a little tyke. All oh, right, and it, it, I can tell you exactly when it happened. It was October third, October third, nineteen fifty-seven. Wow! At seven o'clock at night. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> Are you serious? Well, my <laughs> dad, my dad took me out in the backyard and he pointed to the sky and he said, "Look at that!" And I saw this little point of light moving across the sky. Oh, right. And that was Sputnik. Oh, right. You remember okay. that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So when I saw that, I thought, "Holy cow! This is cool." Yeah. Find out a little bit more about that. Well, in those years, you know, um, in the early 60s, uh, Wheatbix, luckily for me, they bought out little cards in their Wheatbix packets and the, one of these series was on the planets. All right. And you collect all these little cards and you put them in this little book. Yeah. And yeah. the book was one and six. All right. There was a lot of pocket <laughs> money in those days. <laughs> so I, I started to read these cards and I, I was fascinated by it, but they were only drawings because they couldn't really photograph the sky well yeah. in those years. But each of the cards had information on the planets behind it. Right. And then I went to school and I started to look through the, the, the racks there and found out some of the books, one of them by a man by the name of Patrick Moore. Oh, yes, I'd know of Patrick Yeah, you'd Moore. know of him. He had BBC Sky yeah, at Night. Yeah, Longest running radio show in, uh, in history. Wow, is that right? He's now passed away. Yes, he has. Yeah. But I remember getting a card from him when I was 12, inquiring oh. about the British uh, Astronomical Association. Oh, right. But look, I digress. Um, what, what that did for me was continue my interest in, in the sky. I bought a little telescope when I was about 15. I used to get out in the backyard with it. Yeah. At one o'clock in the morning when no one was around, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it wasn't really cool in those days. You'd call <laughs> a bit of a nerd. If you, uh, so I poked around the sky and I was drawing the moon with a little, little sketchbook. And, yeah. And I just, I just sort of carried on from there. Well, look, <laughs> it, it unfortunately changed because I left school. Um, times were different. The 60s, yeah. the music came along. I got interested in cars. Right. And I went and did a mechanical engineering degree and became a mechanical engineer, automotive mechanical engineer. All right. Which led me to uh, my uh, quite an interesting 10 years of drag racing. Oh, really? Yeah, where I was building engines and racing uh, cars and tuning cars for other people. But uh, then I got married and, um, you know, that career took over and I became very successful in public relations, selling and working for some major companies. And All right. Then got into the um, newspaper business. And, newspaper and business. a lot about that. Right. So oh, you did wow. copywriting, you did yeah. PR work, rep work. And uh, one thing led to another and, and probably around, it was probably 1990 if I remember, things fell apart, life fell apart. And right. Didn't work out. And marriage didn't work out. So I took up with somebody else in the area there and um, she wanted to move. She wanted to move to Kempsey. 
Yeah. And I didn't know where Kempsey was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she said, I'm going to go uh, back live in the country. Well, I, I thought, well, you know, I've got nothing to do here. Might as well go with you, you know, there's yeah, nothing sure. keeping me here. I've got a couple of kids myself, but they'd moved yes. away. And, yes. Uh, so we moved up to Kempsey, and when I moved to Kempsey, I made a, a point in my life that I was going to be somebody and do something. I didn't right. want to be a nobody. Oh, right. So I thought, this is a, a, a little, tiny little town. Yeah. Or compared to what I left in yes, Penrith. Sure. And I decided the best way to do this is to go and find everyone who matters in town and get to know them, which is All what right. I did. Oh, wow. So, and I gradually got a good name and I, I started a business up there uh, with music, you know. Yeah. It was the radio would come along at the time. Right. And I joined 2CHYFM in Coffs Harbour. Oh, right. And became a radio a person like you're doing now. Uh, and then that, that went on to other things. Other radio stations came along at Nambucker. I helped pr- produce that and get it started. But Clay Valley Radio, I helped get that running. Wow. And then moved down to Warhope here and uh, finally took up with, with Robin, who's with me right now. We've been together about 30 years now. Wow. I don't know how she's put up with me for that yeah. long. She, <laughs> so yeah. did you always keep the interest in astronomy Always did, yeah, but time? in the background, yeah. Ah, okay. It, it, was, it was always in the background. And, and funny thing, you know, uh, just when I came up here, I said to myself, look, I've left the stars behind. Yeah. And I regretted that because, you know, new things were happening. Rockets and the man yes. on the moon thing yeah. came along. And, and I it rekindled my interest in that uh, in that in that area. Yeah. So it it didn't didn't die off. But yeah. I, I always said one day I'm going to get a little observatory in my backyard. I'm going to fill it full of telescopes, and we're going to. Yeah. That's what I've done. I've, I've managed to convert a, a big share. But I must tell you one thing that um, an, an important part of my life that I, I I'm glad happened. I, I became fairly well known by the radio work that mm. I do. I talk on uh, a dozen radio stations every week wow. across Australia. Well, Robert and I have been to New Zealand on tours taken over there by companies. Wow. I've done um, eclipse tours. I'm an eclipse guide. <laughs> All right. So I, I've been on the middle of the, middle of the ocean there doing eclipse tours and right across America. But one of the uh, jobs I had was working for a magazine in Sydney called Sky and Space. Oh, right. And the editor um, sent me to the States for four weeks because at that time Richard Branson was building his spaceships. Ah, oh, right. And this yes, is around right. 2008. Yeah. And he said, go over and cover that. So I thought, well, while we're over there, why don't I just go and, and go? He said, look, go across, go to all the other space areas there. So this was all paid for. I was happy with that. Yeah, of course. So I did and I went over there and um, I met Richard Branson in New York. Right. And stayed two days as their guest, with his company in the Mm. rooms, in the meeting rooms and talking about... I I found it was excellent. And one thing that happened there I wasn't wasn't aware of, I was given the privilege of going on one of the uh, rides, one of the... um, it's like a centrifuge oh, right. where they test yeah, yeah. the astronauts out. Oh, right. And this yeah. is prelude to taking a flight on Richard Branson's spaceship. Uh, it was exactly like what it would be, but it was all simulated inside. Yes, yes. But the most amazing thing I've ever been involved with, it was the most extremely interesting experience. But from there I went across the so States. Just on that, what did it feel like being on that machine? It was amazing. You'd sit in the room there and you'd have this screen in front of you and it would simulate the Earth and, and then this voice would come on, this nice well-spoken American woman's voice, counting down. And then the thing would start to spin. The centrifuge was, you're in a little little room, little cage on the end of it closed up. And you're looking at the screen there, and it's talking, and they, and you can see the ground disappearing. But I thought, goodness me. I I knew this was all fake, but a little voice in my head said, no, it's not. 
Oh, really? <laughs> uh, but the pressure was there because of the spinning. They yes. spin it faster and faster. And you'd be looking at about three Gs. Now, that was pretty heavy. Yeah, yeah. That's like three people sitting on your chest at once. That was not much fun. And then you got to <laughs> what was called orbit. You'd look down and there's the Earth below you. It was a realistic sort of wow. a thing. I've never wow. been through anything like that. And then they'd stop it and you'd feel the lightness in your body again. But then you've got to come back through the atmosphere at 20,000 K an hour. Yeah, and yeah, the whole yeah. thing went in reverse. So, yeah. uh, and at the end of that, I, I was quite chuffed. I thought I was just one of three hundred people representing the press. There, and I was the only one that was given that privilege. Well, that's amazing. So, from yeah. there, I went across the states and had a look at a few other areas and a few other observatories. When I was in Arizona, I got a call from Buzz Aldrin's secretary. Oh yeah, who said, "While well, you're here, come over and spend some time with us." Ah, well, cool. you'd know that name, the yes, second man who walked on the moon. Yeah. So I went over to Los Angeles and stayed with some people I knew overnight and they took me over there the next day and I spent the whole day. Wow. The second man who walked, it was a buzz. Just yeah, that would have been. I mean, what stories would he have to tell? Well, he told them all. There was nothing new, but there were a few things that came out of that I didn't know. So when I came home, I wrote a book called Apollo 11, The Untold Story. All oh, right. There was right. probably 50 things I picked up that we didn't know about or weren't told about. Not because they're top secret, because yeah. they just weren't, you know, forgotten or weren't important at the time. But that was quite uh, – I, I enjoyed his company quite a lot. So uh, that, that's basically where I'm at at the moment is where we are here. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, and we're, running, we're running night viewings ourselves now doing yeah. that. And I, I'm now in, I'm now running out going to Norfolk Island. We have a oh, right. we have a tour over there once a year with a partner of mine. So we take people on tours. So we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back with David and talk some more about. Well, actually, talked about the stars this time when we come back. So we'll be back shortly. You're listening to Delving with Des. You're back with Delving with Des, and we have. David Renicki, is that right? Renicki. Renicki, <laughs> yeah. with, with us today. And so um, you, you we're talking in the first part of the show about you know, your fascinating with stars and fascinating fascination with the sky and so forth. Let's talk about how extensive our solar system is, our universe, what we know. I mean, it's just mind-blowing, some of the numbers, but can you give us some of those numbers? There are none. We don't know how big the whole thing yeah. is. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing about it. In the 60s and the 70s, you could easily explain the whole deal. Oh, the Big Bang started and we know there's planets and stars. We didn't know anything in those years. Now we know yeah. so much. There's an embarrassment of riches at the moment. The amount of information we're getting yeah. with the Hubble telescope, yes. the Webb telescope, when we go out under the stars, there's one thing I do to people. I do a sky tour and I show, I show them the sky. I say, look, that's where the stars move across the sky. Have a look out there. You're looking at back in time. Every time you look at the sky, you're looking back in time. Yeah. Those stars aren't necessarily where you think they are. To give an example, we point to Sirius, our brightest star. Yeah. And I ask them, where were you eight years ago? A bit over eight years. Oh, gee, we're getting married or Tommy yeah. lost his tooth. <laughs> well, when that happened... A beam of light left that star that's hitting your eye right now. Wow. It's taken eight years to get to your eye. So how fast does light travel? Seven times around the world in one second, is. Wow. 300,000 k a second. For every year, for eight years, that beam of light came here. But it gets even better. That's we point just, just mind-blowing, isn't yeah, it? We point to another one called Cannabis, second brightest star. That's over 300 light years away. See, what I'm doing is giving people a sense of proportion. Yeah. That's 300 light years away. In fact, the light you're looking at from that star 
left that star before Cook came to Australia and it's just arriving now. So, <laughs> yeah, what you're doing now is what they do. Their eyes yeah. open up. They don't realise that. So that star could have disappeared, not even exist by the time the light... There's a star out yeah. there called Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse. It's a red-orange star. Yeah. And it's at the bottom of the saucepan, what we call the saucepan. You call it Orion oh, right, when right. you're in Ireland. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. we call it the saucepan. When you look at that red star, you're looking at a star that's dying. See, we know how stars born and how they die. When they're new, they're bright white, right. hot, mm. and then when they get older, they go down the range to uh, red, orange, red, and then they die, just like a fire, and the fire's oh, right. dying out, and then you've got the coals that are burning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this star we know is, is a large star as well. Mm. In fact, it's 600 times bigger than our sun. Wow. But it's 600 light years away. So we're looking at something that, that, that was there 600 years ago. Yeah. Now, that star is going to blow up. Astronomers know that this star is going to detonate. And when it does, it's going to be the most powerful thing you could ever imagine. In two or three seconds when that star blows up, this, it will release more energy, more heat and more light than our sun will in its entire 10 billion year history. That flash wow. will be so bright there will be no night time for a day or two. Wow. Close to it. So that star will become what's called a supernova. And these are happening all the time. It's a birth and death. It's a life cycle. Right. And stars go through what we do, birth, death, and God knows what else after. <laughs> you know. So the extent of the universe is, is large. We, we, we've only just realised we, we live in the Milky Way galaxy. Yes. That galaxy is one of hundreds of trillions of billions of galaxies out there. And all we can see is what we call the observable universe. Yes. In other words, stand on the ocean down here in port on the on the on the banks of town beach or something. Yeah. And have a look at the horizon. You could quite well say if you didn't know any better, that's the end of the earth. Yes. But it's the only it's it's only the part we can see. Yeah, exactly. So around the other side there's more. Same with the universe. Yes. What we can see is all we can see, and that's the observable it stretches for almost thirteen billion light years, this. Thirteen yep. billion light so years. So we've got a, a handle on how old the universe is. Now why when you look at the stars, they exhibit a redshift, the light. Yes. Everything is redshifted. And to an astronomer, that means the light, the object is moving away. When the light uh, gets... See, astronomy is the science of light. You analyse yes. the light, the light tells you a lot about the star. Right. right. So that redshift and the extent of it tells us how far away the star is and how fast it's moving. What they worked out was that the universe is getting bigger and bigger and everything away from it is moving faster and faster. So the wow. eventual aim of the universe, or the conclusion you draw from that, is that if it's moving apart, where's it going to end? Yes. Does it just, does it just go into infinity and, and fizzle out? That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So what's it, your theory? It may contract. Oh, right, the okay. gravity itself of the universe may pull itself back into into one little point once again where we think it may have started called the Big Bang. And then whammo, the whole thing starts over again. <laughs> so the universe may be recycling itself over and over and over. Across just, billions of years. just don't know. But when we said 13 billion years, can you imagine that Hubble telescope and the Webb telescope is showing us images from the first stars that were ever born yeah. As that light has been travelling for over 12 to 13 billion years to get here. We were only, our universe, our, uh, our Earth was created 5 billion years ago. Wow. So this left there way before that. 
And, and when you look at the sky at night, this is what we see, this is what we know at the moment, but it's only a small amount. And I'll tell you another thing too. I used to teach astronomy to kids at school. We were travelling around, we talked about that a little earlier. But when I went to the Christian schools, I, I, I was always fascinated because of, of the dedication the teachers had to teaching and there was no strict rules about telling them yes. how, the, how science works. Yes, I was open, but I did say to each one of them, and I'll say to you and your audience right now, that when I look at what I see and what I know, I keep telling myself, this has been put here for a reason. This is either by accident or design. Yeah. One of the two. It's got to be. So when I look at what I see, I think this can't be just a fluke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, is something yeah. more behind this? So this is where, yeah. we, st- where we are at the moment. Yes. And yeah. the majority of astronomers feel that there is a connection like that. And yes. do you know what the best observatory in the world where that is? It's in the Vatican. In the Vatican? You wouldn't know that, would you? Not many people do. The wow. Vatican have a massive observatory and they're very, very um, up with everything. Yes. They do a great amount of research. And the Vatican put a statement out a little while ago, Des, that you, you and your audience might, might like to hear, when, when they were asked about what's the, what's the church's feeling on, on the universe and life yeah. out there. And it was, it was something like um, the, the Vatican states that they do believe in the multiplicity of worlds. Wow. So they're open to that. Yes. There's no God only made the earth and that's the only place. They, they are aware of that there are other planets out there. Yeah. And that's another area you could talk about some other time. Will we go there? Is there life out there? I think the greatest story in history, Des, would be if we got a signal from somewhere else yes. one day and they said, G'day, mate. <laughs> that would be real. <laughs> How you going? Oh, yeah. The Aussie accent, yeah. <laughs> that would be really cool. That's really cool. Oh, someone would say, what do you want? I <laughs> <laughs> see, you know, I uh, some years ago I – heard a, a pa- American pastor and he was talking about the universe and, and the universe, he's captivated by it. And he, he told a story of if the earth was a golf ball. And he said, if the earth was a golf ball, our universe would fit into Yankee Stadium, right? There'd be so many golf balls filling Yankee Stadium and yes. that would be the universe. And I give people a real perspective on um, on the size, just exactly what you're talking about. There are more stars in the universe than grains of sand on every beach in the world. Wow, that's unbelievable. Isn't more it? stars in the universe than heartbeats for every human being who ever lived. Wow, Big number, isn't it? <laughs> See, amazing. we're used to dealing with earthly distances. And well, that's right. That's the only context we have. The universe doesn't owe us an explanation. No. No, no. We've got to figure out why. And, and when you talk about the size of things that you did there just now, we can, we're, we're talking. Remember this. The universe is made up of galaxies. Yes. And then those galaxies are grouped together in clusters of galaxies. So what's a galaxy? A galaxy is a massive collection of stars. Our Milky Way is just one of many. Mm. The nearest one is Andromeda, 2 million light years away. And each galaxy contains 100 billion stars. Now, we're only one star with life on a planet around that of 100 billion stars in our galaxy alone. Can you imagine that the possibility of life out there is very, very great? Isn't it? It requires a a refinement, if I could use that word, of forces that creates the opportunity to have life on another planet. We could be a giant fluke. Uh, Well, it could be. And I'll tell you why. I mean, look... We, we have a world 
that was created about the same time as all the other planets. Now, the only planet in the solar system we can go to is Mars, but it's not even halfway good. So what makes the Earth so different? Well, here's what happened. And this could have been by a whole bunch of of series of of things that just went right. Just hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about that. We'll be back shortly. You're listening to Delving with Des. Hi, we're back with Devling with Des, and we have David Renicki. I'll, I'll get it right. Renicki, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, David, it's great to have you. And some of the statistics you're talking about are just mind blowing. Well, they are. And we, we remember we, we talked about how the Earth came to be. Well, look, can I just let you know that, as I said to you, Des, this could be a, a series of flukes that may not happen all that often. But if it does, there's probably other people out there, and we're looking for them now. When the Earth was formed, Everything was formed, the planets at the same time. The sun was created first, and that was spinning very quickly and throwing bits and pieces off. And they became solid and they became planets. Now, when our Earth was born, it was spinning very quickly. One Mm. day on planet Earth was like 12 hours long. Uh, uh, No, uh, really fast. Five hours, sorry. It it took five hours to spin around once instead of 24. So we were spinning very quickly, but we're also wobbling backwards and forwards. Life can't exist on a planet that does that. Remember the old kids' toy tops? How do we know that? How do we know the Earth was wobbling? By the the layers of the rock, the the things that happen, and geologists um, and people over the years who work in those areas can see the seasonal changes and how things work. Right, right. how that well, it's like archaeoastronomy. They yeah. go back and, but we know that the Earth was spinning very quickly, processing because it's still doing that. But at one time, it was much much more severe. Mm. So why did it slow down? Well, when you see a kid's top slow down, one of those old yes, toy tops, yes, yes. they'd wobble backwards and forwards. Uh, you can't have seasons, or you can't have life on a planet that's spinning so quickly. Something hit the Earth when it was being formed. A oh. massive object whacked into us, and we think it was a proto-planet, and ripped a big piece of the Earth out and became the moon. Now, when that oh. moon formed, its gravity slowed the rotation of the Earth down to its 24-hour day. But it not only did that, it straightened out our axis. Oh, okay. <laughs> it gave us our beautiful... So we've got now a planet that has beautiful seasons, yeah. a temperate climate generally, and the right position from the sun. Yes. We call that the Goldilocks zone. The not perfect. too hot. Yes. Yeah, and yes. not too cold to be too far away. So did that process replicate somewhere else out there at some other time? We don't know no. that. No. But don't you think that... If we found evidence of life out there and we got a message one day, like we see in the contact or the movies, yeah. that would singularly be the greatest story in history. Yes. Wouldn't it? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? And that's what the SETI program's all about. Right. I work with people in SETI, I talk to them, I know them fairly well. And they're dedicated to finding a signal out there. We haven't heard anything yet, but yeah. lack of evidence isn't evidence of lack. No, 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 that's it true. It means we yeah, may yeah. not be listening in the right spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's interesting, but the amount of time it would take for sound to come from a planet to Earth would be just astronomical, wouldn't it? Let me it? pull you up on one thing. That's based on where we are at the moment. A hundred years ago, what was the fastest you could travel? A petrol car that would do yeah. 30 or 40 miles an hour. Yeah. Could you imagine a jet plane or a rocket in those years? Yeah. An iPhone? Yeah. So you're a product of the time you grew up in. Yeah. So when you say that to me, I think, yeah, you are right, but you're thinking laterally. Yeah. Now, 
It may be possible, and general relativity tells us this now, we've only started to work this out, that, and, and general relativity is the way the universe works. Yeah. Einstein gave us that. There may be ways of moving faster than light. We may right. be able to move the universe in ways that we never imagined to our benefit, where those distances can be contracted down to a very small area. In other words, we could travel through a wormhole, through a black hole, come out to another point in time. We, we don't know. There's so many things yeah. out there, but our science will solve that. Eventually, we'll travel more quickly, be able to get to places more quickly. At the moment, if you got into a fast-moving plane um, and you're headed from the nearest star, just our closest star... It would take you 80,000 years to get there. Yes. It's yeah. too long for yeah. me. Yeah, that's right. You sort of have to dedicate your life to it, wouldn't you? you would. <laughs> and then some. <laughs> and take a packed lunch. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of videos. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, those statistics that you quote are just, they're absolutely amazing for people. Well, uh, they're science fact. Yes, yeah. So, did, so going on from that, how can people get a better understanding of their solar system and the, the world outside their own world? Oh, look, there are so many things. All I can suggest to you is that <clears throat> there's one thing I'd like everyone listening to do somewhere is to write this down. It's called Pale Blue Dot. Now, the Pale Blue Dot is a five-minute talk that Carl Sagan did once. Right. Carl Sagan, to me, was my mentor. Right. I never met this man, but I, I model myself on what I do on the way that he taught astronomy. Right. He was just magnetic. And, and everyone says that. We lost him at the turn of the century. But he did a, a five-minute um, narrative about where we are and how we came yeah. to be. And this little pale blue dot came about because he, he asked, in the, in the 70s we were sending out Pioneer and Voyager and we were looking at other planets. Well, what he did was he said to NASA, I want you to turn the spacecraft around when it got to Saturn and photograph the Earth. And it did. And, and as when we saw the photograph, you could hardly see anything but there's a little blue dot there in this whole big ocean of black stars. And that's why he called it the pale blue dot. Because right. that represents us. Everybody you ever knew, every politician, every kid, every dog, every cat, every, every uh, ruler, every sag, every, every king, every queen who ever lived – live their life on this one little place. Yes. And when you listen to that, it'll send shivers down your back. So go and have a look at Pale Blue Dot. It's only a short thing on YouTube. Sure. And then go and look at some of the other great, um, you know, videos that are there too to have a look. But be careful on, on Facebook because there's so much misinformation. There, There's a lot of armchair astronomers that get onto Facebook. and you'll. Uh, so, <laughs> yes. But there are some good astronomy pages for people who want to know things yeah. and, and they'll, they'll teach you things and they're, they're okay. But I, I do that. I, I, I have people ring me all the time. So I want to buy a telescope. What will I get? I'm only too happy to go and help them out. In a lot of cases I do. Yes. Just for the fact I want them to get a decent telescope and, and have like when I started. So... You know, someone who's interested in astronomy and they want to buy a telescope, I mean, can you see, I guess you can see endless stars if you're in somewhere like Port Macquarie, but if you go out into the bushland where it's pitch black and so forth, you see so much more, don't you? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you hit it right on the head. Um, the, the rule with astronomy is get away from the light. Yeah. And the yeah. darker your skies. I mean, have you ever pulled up between cities on a long journey one night and you've yeah got out there and you had a cup of coffee and you looked up at the sky. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't see that from your backyard. No, you don't, exactly. Port yeah. Macquarie here where we are is extremely light polluted. 
Yeah. It is a yeah. really, really t- – so if you've got a telescope in this area, just get in the car and drive out to Sandcrox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go yeah. somewhere else. But, yeah. yeah, you are right. That That is the first rule. And you'll be surprised to know a lot of – when we have our telescopes, I've got a 10-inch Dobsonian telescope. It's a large telescope. Yeah. And I have it sitting there. One thing I ask the group, how much do you reckon that telescope would cost? And people say 10, 20, 15, 30,000. Do you know what? There's – for around seven or eight hundred dollars, you can get a good telescope that'll give you excellent views of the. You'll see the rings of Saturn, the moons of Jupiter, the bands on Jupiter, and you'll have it there. And they don't wear out. Telescopes, yes. you buy them, yeah. and you, it will cost you around nine hundred dollars to get it delivered to your home. And it's it's a beautiful and they're large telescopes. Telescopes are not dear these yeah, days. Yeah. The only ones that are going to cost you money are the ones that have a computer control. Uh, you right. can now buy a telescope that has a handset. You plug in a series of numbers that you want. It will find anything up to eighty or 90,000 objects in the sky within 30 seconds for you. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so amazing. I'm one of the old school. I like to poke around. <laughs> so, so it, I, it's a lot of money, but well worth it. If anyone wants to buy a telescope, you go and look for a computer-controlled telescope. Yeah. And you'll be looking somewhere between maybe seven, eight hundred dollars to up to around two thousand dollars for a good one. So where would you go to? Yeah, I mean, it's off the subject a bit. But where would you go to get a telescope like that? Would you buy it online, or would you? Yeah, have a look for one. You go to the major dealers. Don't go to um, the, the small. Don't go. Be careful buying on eBay or anything like that. But I've got a lot of. Uh, suggested places I can tell people if they yeah. want to call, we'll, we'll give our phone my phone number out if you want to. If you live in Sydney, but even if you don't, places like Bintel, B I N T E L, okay, are, are good. They're in yeah. Sydney. They've been around a long time, and there are quite a few other places you can buy the telescope from. You get a five year warranty with it. Wow! Uh, and and when you get the telescope. You look at the moon, you can find that. What else am I going to look at? <laughs> My right. advice is to go and find an astronomy club. Yes, near you. And, yeah. and just say, can I – look, I've never met an astronomer yet, amateur astronomer, or been to a star party, we call them a star party, a star party that yeah. would knock anyone back. They're yeah. only too happy to show you through it. They, they want to see you do what you – your big old yeah, eyes yeah. open up. Yeah. But they're, they're, that's the way to go. Get your telescope yeah. and, and you'll get free tuition. But be, before you buy a telescope, go there as well and right. say, look, my name's Mick or John – uh, do you mind if, if my little boy... No, look, I welcome you in there. And you've got the advantage there, Des, of, of having a look at all the different ranges yes, of, of course. And in a lot of cases, they'll help you buy one too. Oh, that's amazing. We're going to take another short break and then we'll be back soon. You're listening to Delving with Des. Hi, we're back with Delving with Dales, and we've got David again with us, and we uh, I'm not even going to try and pronounce your, your surnames. <laughs> I've got to get, keep getting it wrong. Right. I have trouble with it too. It's Dave Renneke, yeah. Dave Renneke, that's great. Where does that come from, by the way? Where is that name it's from? German derivation. Uh, okay. I, I believe the um, Reineke, uh, R-E-I-N-I-K, I think that's German for fox or something. Oh, is that right? So ah, I don't there know you what, go. Why, why. That's got nothing to do with the stars anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Look, uh, you, you, my daughter went back and had a look at all this, and oh god, there's so many different branches that oh, right. come out. But um, there was a scallywag in there from England somewhere. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> so one of the things that I guess if somebody's going to study the stars, 
one of the things that they would be interested in is what's happening in the universe right now. So, you know, obviously the universe is changing, it's expanding, as you said yeah. earlier. So what sort of things are happening that we could see yeah. in our solar system? You can only talk about what's in our solar system. We yeah. can't really, you know, when we look outside that, they don't change over hundreds of millions of sure. years. But look, the, the sky changes each, every half year. Uh, you'll get a different sky. In other words, you know, as we move around the sun, the different constellations come up. You've got a whole bunch of different ones between January and June. Now June's just in in process now. We're we're now seeing constellations that we couldn't see before. They were the early morning ones. They're coming up in the evening now. You don't don't even think that way, you know. Yeah, well, look, to give you an example, Venus is brilliant in in the night sky at the moment. It's a brilliant bright star there. A lot of people think it's a star, but it's a planet. Yeah. We call it the evening star. Well, in about three months' time, it's going to rise in the early morning, so it'll become the morning star. Uh, so right. you, you've got two choices. You can either do your astronomy at night time and, and you, whatever's up there, you, or you can get up at two or three in the morning and see a whole bunch of different stuff. Oh, right. Not many people want to do that. No, no. <laughs> at the moment, there's not a lot there. The planets aren't really up for you to have a look at it at night time, but they will come back into our night skies in a, in a couple of months' time. Right. Look, Saturn is beautiful at the moment. Right. Yeah. When it does come up near the end of the year or, or close to it, that's the time to go and have a look. If you want to go up in the early hours of the morning and you've got a telescope, you'll see the rings quite clearly. Sky's a little better in the early morning. You don't have that heat coming yes. off the ground. Ah, right. <clears throat> you'll see the, the rings. And by the way, the rings are disappearing. What does that mean? Well, every 29 years, this planet rocks around one way and then back the other way and it's moving around the sun. Right. Now, from my, our point of view, it's going to be side on in uh, a couple of years' time. Yeah. So it's like a butter knife. If you hold a butter knife up and the flat blade at you, you can see the wide blade. Yes. If I turn it sideways, it's only very thin. Yes. So that's how the rings are going to be. I'm going to say disappearing. They're, they're not going to, they don't disappear, yeah. but they get hard to so see. So the best yeah. time to look at Saturn is going to be this year, I tell you now, because in a couple of years' time. But look, Jupiter's also there. You can see the, the bands in the clouds right. with even a reasonable moderate telescope. You'll see the main four moons around the outside. Uh, Uranus and Neptune are too far away. They're only a little... A little green thing. We don't even worry because you can't see much with those. Venus is interesting. When you look at that, you'll see a planet that looks like a half moon because everything between us and the sun has phases. Mercury has phases as well. So Venus, if you looked at it... So what does a phase mean? Well, half like half moon, quarter moon, full moon. Oh, right, right, right. You'll see Venus like that. It's brilliant in this, and it's an awful object in in a telescope. You can never get it clear. So really you've only got the two main planets to have a look at and the moon, but there's some beautiful constellations out there. One of them I I love to have a look at is uh, is our, our Southern Cross. Ah, and, right. you know, people from all over the world come here. We, we talk to them. People from, from, uh, from, from Europe, uh, from America, they all want to see the Southern Cross. You can't see it in the Northern Hemisphere. Ah, but right. we have it here. It's indigenous to our own country. Yes. And it's how the early explorers used to find their way around. Yeah. But um, in these Southern Crosses, there's a little cluster of stars called the Jewel Box. Absolutely beautiful through a telescope, like a woman's jewelry box, reds and greens and yellow stars. Oh, really? So we show them that. And there's another one in the saucepan called the Orion Nebula. And when you look at that, it's a cloudy area, like a a mist in a little area near the saucepan, we call it the saucepan. And I tell people, when you look at that, you're looking at creation. These are stars being born right before your very eyes in this cloud of gas called a nebula. Yeah. 
a nursery or an incubator for brand new stars. Wow. So the universe is constantly changing, evolving, yeah, yeah. stars are dying out, new ones are coming along, and it could have been like that for eternity. We're not... It's just, it's just that's, that's why I drink so much black coffee. <laughs> I mean, you get such a passion for it. It's really cool. You've got to like what you do. Yeah, yeah well, I think, that, yeah. that's, that's uh, true. But there's, there's so much I don't know, and I, I want to live forever to find yeah. out yeah. about it. Uh, but and that's the exciting thing about astron- astronomy. You're always, there's always new things happening. Oh, it's, it's never the same, yeah. and, and you get to, to explore so much. Well, you do, and uh, when you find out for yourself, it's good to have someone with you there, but sometimes when you're, when you're a learner, I, I, I couldn't sit there with somebody brand new and, and do this. They just wouldn't understand it. Yeah, You've got to yeah. say, look, just go and have a look up there and have a look up there, and if you've got any questions, come back yeah. and see me. <laughs> uh, but with the school program, just digress momentarily, it was probably one of the most incredible periods of time in my life when I yeah. travelled around to, to schools. And you know what? After every lesson, we'd have a whole bunch of kids come up. Do you still do that? No. I don't know. Yeah. Look, I'm 76 now, and I'm getting on a bit. And yeah. <laughs> it was it was taking its toll, but um, but I, I just enjoyed the, the reaction with the kids, yes. you know. And the they still love space. Yes, of course. They're still curious about oh, their world. Next to dinosaurs, they love space yeah. a bit. Des, it's their time. They yeah. live in the space age. And I tell mums and dads, I say, when you see a kid walking to school next, think about this. He's going to be, when he gets older and he has a family, he's going to probably take a holiday to the moon, like you and I book an overseas holiday today. The first people to walk on Mars have already been born. Well, yeah. And the first people to colonise Mars are being born now. We're the old timers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's amazing when you, I mean, the the opportunities in that that space, (laughs) to coin that phrase. So so, um, as we wind up, tell me, if people are interested in astrology, how, what's the best way for them to go about learning more? And do, do they buy books? Do they uh, go to one of your courses that you have? Do they buy a telescope? What's the, what's the right approach for them? Well, I don't know how far your broadcast goes, but within our region here, I do night tours for people in in the Hastings area where yeah. I live. Uh, we go to their homes. We only just charge a little bit we can get there. We get my yeah. time, my petrol, and we spend the night with them. Uh, we do Norfolk Island tours as well. We're opening yeah. up Aussie uh, astro-tourism here ah. in the, for the Hastings. We're trying to do that. That's cool. By getting people from our region to go. We're, we've been yeah. successful. But the best shot is to ha- perhaps go and have a look at uh, some of the uh, on, online, uh, some of the talks by Carl Sagan. Yeah. Brian Green with an E on the end of it, Brian yeah. Green. Uh, same of the other big names that you hear about. Yeah. Just go and have a look at some of these documentaries there, but be careful on Facebook about wackos and silly theories <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, yeah. all, all these conspiracy theories and things like that. Just, just gradually ease yourself into it. Carl Sagan did a series called Cosmos. Right. That you may not, may remember. It's pretty right. old now. Yeah. It's probably 30-odd years old. But that's also still available to have a look at. A little bit dated, but it was like yeah. he was a, in a spaceship travelling through the universe and he'd explain the history of astronomy. So go and have a look at Carl Sagan. I mean, that'd be Sagan. really useful for people who that are just That would be the way off. to go. Carl Sagan, S-A-G-A-N, Cosmos. You'll right. find the whole series available. So if you've got a bit of time to spare, less than an hour a week, go and have a look at each episode and you'll... You'll learn so much. That's so good. We're and talking. we're available too, by the way. Bob. Yeah, no, no. I'm just going to say your your uh, website is davidrenicke 
dot com. So yeah. it's David R E N E K E dot com. So people can explore that. And uh, are you happy for me to give out your phone number? Yeah, phone number's fine. Yeah. So o two six five eight five double two six zero. Might be easier with the uh, with a mobile. The o4, mobile. Yeah. O four double o six three six three six three. That's a great yeah, number. It is. Man. Yeah. You did really well with that Cost one. Cost a lot to get that. Too, <laughs> that's out. That's a media number I use. So it's o four double o. Yeah. 63, 63, 63. I'm only too happy to field any inquiries, but it's davidrenneke.com, D-A-V-I-D-R-E-N-E-K-E.com, and I, I have a web page every week updated with all the news. Oh, that's, that's really good. I'm going to have a look at that myself. David, it's been great having you here. It's been a real joy. My pleasure, And, uh, and I've learnt lots, and I'm sure our listeners have learnt lots too. So thank you so Sorry much. Sorry I waffled on so much, but I just, great, man. once you start me on this stuff, <laughs> <laughs> all the best with it, and thank you for listening. Appreciate yeah. it. You have been listening to the podcast of Delving with Des.